Awesome. Thanks, Michelle, and uh, congrats to you and Matt. She's trying to leave. <laughs> congrats to you and Matt for uh, your engagement and your upcoming marriage. Hey, um, welcome to those who are worshiping online. If you are here in person, can you just take a moment to look to someone and say, hey, I'm thankful for you? And uh, for those worshiping online, can you do this? Can you write in your chat box, what's your favorite holiday? Your favorite holiday. Uh, can we talk about that for a second? Um, for those of you who are chatting from home. All right. Well, uh, thanks so much for being the church and for bringing it into um, this sanctuary today, as well as into your uh, online space. We thank you that, uh, thank God that the church is not like bound by, by space, but um, because God is spirit, his worshipers are called to worship in spirit and in truth. And so wherever uh, the people of God are, uh, we are uh, the church. Thankful for that. Um, I hope you had a uh, lovely and wonderful Thanksgiving uh, week break holiday. Uh, for me, it was, it was great. My, uh, my family and I, Olivia, and our three kids, we had uh, my parents in town from Virginia, and so we had um, the seven of us ate a meal together. Um, my brother's family is in Portland, Oregon, and so they weren't able to make it, um, but they wanted to be here, so we FaceTimed with them, and they also um, ordered some food from a local uh, restaurant. So they ordered food, and they ordered turkey, and then they're like, hold up, do you guys really like turkey? Um, we're like, yeah, you know, it's okay. They said, uh, what about ham? Do you guys like ham? We said, we like ham. So they ordered ham for us. Ended up the turkey could feed 18 people. The ham could feed 12 people. So we had 30 people's worth of meat <laughs> for seven of us, and three of them are little kids who barely eat any of that stuff anyways. And so we would... Uh, eat our Thanksgiving feast, and then for uh, Friday morning and Friday lunch and Friday dinner, and then Saturday, <laughs> we've been eating Thanksgiving meal all day, every day, and we still have so much in the refrigerator. So if you didn't get to celebrate uh, with uh, Thanksgiving food and you'd like to, uh, you're welcome to come over. But I was thinking about this, how um, the things that make Thanksgiving, right? What are the things that make Thanksgiving such a special holiday for us? Um, probably here in America, it's things like, well, definitely uh, the food is huge, uh, definitely the family or the friends that we're with uh, make it a crucial part of um, the celebration. Uh, football has to be part of it here in America. There's a bunch of things that make Thanksgiving Thanksgiving, and it's not just what's around the table that makes it such a feast. It's about the way that we feel inside, being with the people that we love, uh, eating the food that we love, doing the things that we love, and just spending all day doing that. There's something beautiful about it. What if this is what it got me thinking. What if, like, every day could be that kind of a feast? So we have these holidays that we celebrate all the time. So Thanksgiving, the, the reason these holidays were given to us is because the very thing that we're celebrating are things that need to be celebrated, but we have a difficult time doing it. That's why we need a special day to do it, a holiday, in the hopes that one day this could become a habit so that we wouldn't need a special day to do it. So if everybody gave thanks all the time, and we wouldn't need a holiday to do it. Thanksgiving would be all day and every day. But because we struggle with being thankful, we need a day to help us to be reminded of all that we have been given. I was thinking about Christmas. Like uh, last night for a few hours, um, my family and we went to uh, SeaWorld. And in the, one of the, the theaters, there was this 
Christmas story. It was a musical where they sang like 30 different Christmas carols, and in your face they were talking about the Savior of the world has come. This is what Christmas is about. The reason for the season is the birth of Jesus. And as they were singing and they were doing these like dances, like hip-hop dances to joy to the world, I was like, man, this is so good. Like my heart was moved and it was stirred. And as like my, my oldest was sitting on the edge of her seat and she was like this, and I was taking pictures of her because she was so fixated upon the wonder of the incarnation of what God would do to come to us. And I thought to myself, what if every day could be Christmas Day for us? We could live with the same sense of wonder and amazement that God came near to us because He loved us in such a way that He wanted to be near because that's what lovers do. They want to be with each other. What if every day was Christmas? What if every day was New Year's Day? That was the name of a song. If every day on New Year's Day I make these resolutions, what if every day I were to wake up and say, today I want to live for you. Today I want to be different. Today's a new day, and I'm going to live it fully for the glory of God. What if every day was lived as a holiday? How would life be different? And so back to the, back to the thought. What if every day was Thanksgiving? How would that transform the way that we live? Because the Bible, which we'll see uh, sooner uh, than later, tells us there's a great power in giving thanks. It's not just something we're called to do because we, we need to think about all that we have, but there's something amazing that happens when we take time to give thanks. So what if every day was Thanksgiving? How do we grow to become people who can give thanks and make it an all-day, everyday thing in light of all that God has given to us. I want to turn to Proverbs 15 as we look at this last sermon in our series on uh, the wisdom of Proverbs. I want to read just three verses, one passage, Proverbs 15, uh, 15 to 17, how we can live in the power of gratitude and the power of thanksgiving uh, every day that we live, that every day would be a thanksgiving holiday. Proverbs 15, this is the word of God for the people of God, starting in verse 15. It says, all the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. Okay. So, let me pause before I read 16 and 17 where we talk a little bit more about the food. But he, he says the cheerful heart has a continual feast. In other words, the true feast of Thanksgiving, for example, is not about what's on the table. It's about the condition of our hearts. It's not about what's out there. It's about what's in here and how what's in here affects the things that we see. He says, it's a cheerful heart that has a continual feast, the deepest feast of thanksgiving. And you know this as well as I do, that the greater feast of thanksgiving is not about the food that we eat. It's about what happens within our hearts as we gather around the table with the people that we care about and the people that we love. In other words, thanksgiving is an inner reality more than it is about what's going on around us. And then he goes on, 16, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a meal of vegetables where there's love than a fattened calf with hatred. And this is God's word. What do we see? Two thoughts here. Here's the first thing. Um, it, first thought is not too original. I, in fact, I've said this on many occasions. But instead, first thought, instead of longing for what you don't have, give thanks for what you do have. Instead of longing for what you don't have, Give thanks for what you do. Verses 16 and 17, okay, this is where we, we kind of flesh this out. 
King Solomon, in his wisdom, plays a little bit of Would You Rather. My daughter, Elise, our six-year-old, loves playing Would You Rather. And so sometimes on car drive, she says, you want to play Would You Rather? And, and so we'll play this game. Would you rather have this or this? These like mental conundrums. So imagine King Solomon and Elise going on a drive somewhere, and she says, hey, King, your highness, let's play Would You Rather. And so here's what Solomon says. Would you rather have little or great wealth? Would you rather have a meal of vegetables? Literally, this is a meal of vegetables, not, and, and the, the, the sense of the word is clear in the Hebrew. This is not because you're vegetarian, not because you're vegan, not because you're, you support pita. It's none of these things. A meal of vegetables means you are eating vegetables because you're poor. And it's not a lot of vegetables, literally means a small serving of vegetables. The question is, would you rather have a little bit of vegetables or a fattened calf, like a big old steak, a tomahawk ribeye? if you will. Which would you rather have? And as he asked this to Elise, this is like the silliest question ever. In what kind of a world, in what kind of a universe would you choose to have a little rather than great wealth? Would any, who, who would choose that? I would, I would rather have a little this year, Thanksgiving 2020. I'd like a little bit rather than great wealth. Or how many of you would rather have a little bit of vegetables instead of the fattened calf, which is a symbol of celebration and parties? Who would you rather have? Well, obviously, I'd, I'd rather have great wealth. If I'm honest, if uh, I'm honestly speaking your heart, you'd rather have great wealth than a little, wouldn't you? And then you hear about people like Quang. Have you heard about, have you heard about Quang? <laughs> yeah, he, he was a, in a show called Lucky on HBO. I've talked about this show before, but the show looks at people who have won the lottery, like mega million dollars. They've won millions of dollars, and it talks about how life was different before and after they won. So here's this guy, Quang. He's a Vietnamese man living in America. And to the Vietnamese people, like their family is everything, everything to them. It is their source of companionship, their source of support. Uh, everything is wrapped around the family, not just your nuclear family, but your extended family, aunts, uncles, relatives, all become part of your intimate circle of relationships. And that's the way it was with Quang and his family also. All his relatives were there. They loved one another. They loved life. They loved each other until he hit the jackpot. $22 million fell into his lap, and all of a sudden, that family that was so close began fighting over who should get how much money. Well, I won. I should be the one to determine, but we're your family. Like, we're family. We all should get an equal part of the pie. Well, he's got more needs than someone else, so you should give him more. Those are not really needs, those are wants, and they began fighting. And a once intimate family began to separate and be divided. His last ditch effort in order to keep the family together was in this neighborhood. I'm going to build five houses, all of them the same, all of them right next to each other, so that we can live in his last ditch effort to keep them together. But he said their family has never been the same. You ask him, would you rather have a little bit or great wealth? He would say, I'd rather, I'd rather have little than have great wealth with turmoil. Because a lot of times, the question seems like a no-brainer. We would rather have great wealth than a little bit. But ask every person who hit the lottery, and that show says 70%, everybody, first of all, everybody who hits the lottery is excited at first. Who's not? But 70% of them said they wasted all that money. 30% 30, 30 of those lottery winners ended up taking their lives because they could not deal with the turmoil that came with an instant influx of great wealth. He invites you to imagine, would you rather have a little 
Or would you rather have great wealth? And then he invites us to think again. Because this is what we do, isn't it? If we have a little, we long for wealth. If we have wealth, we long for great wealth because it's never enough. He invites us to imagine a second scenario. Better a meal of vegetables where there's love than a fattened calf with hatred. Question, so imagine going to a wedding reception. Maybe it's Matt and Michelle's, maybe it's someone else's, but you go to a wedding reception. Here you are, and you sit down to eat at the table, and the server comes to you and he says, would you rather have the vegetable meal or would you rather have the fattened calf? The steak, that tomahawk ribeye, that Angus, the Wagyu beef, I don't know what it is. But would you rather have the vegetables or would you rather have the steak? Well, just out of politeness, you say, well, what kind of vegetables are they? Well, it's just a, a smattering. Is it a lot of vegetables? It's a little bit of vegetables. Maybe like a couple pieces of, of carrots and a broccoli. Uh, I will go with the steak. Who in their right mind, who in their right mind would choose the vegetables over the fattened calf? Well, what if, what if the steakhouse meal that you're eating every day was eaten in a home that was filled with the most unsavory characters who were constantly bickering, constantly fighting, constantly hating on each other? This is what he says. He says there's something else. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a meal of vegetables where there's love than a fattened calf with hatred. He's pressing upon us the realities of human nature. Here's what human nature does. It longs for what we don't have because that's what we do. We're constantly wishing for, longing for, comparing ourselves to people who have more because there's a saying that we say here in America, the grass is greener on the other side, isn't it? We don't think about all the work that went into fertilizing that grass. We don't think about the cost of the water that went into fertilizing. All we see is greener grass and we idealize the life that we don't have while we minimize the cost involved in having that kind of life. Would you rather have a little or would you rather have great wealth? Well, he says, I'd rather have a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. I'd rather have a little vegetable meal where there's love than to have the greatest affair where there's hatred. But see, this is what we do. If you've got a little, the tendency is to want a lot. If you've got the vegetables, the tendency is to want the meat. But what we don't often realize is that what we've got right now, what we've got right now is far better than the things that we often long for in this life. Because we spend a lot of our time comparing ourselves to people who have the things that we don't without realizing the things that we have that they don't, and we long for what we think is a better life. And what wisdom says is I invite you to think again to think again at what you have right now in your hand instead of longing for the things in the bush that you don't have. And what do you have? He says the best things in life, the fear of the Lord and love in this case, are the things that can't be bought with money and the things that no hardship in this world could ever take from you. You have love, you have the fear of the Lord. Money can't buy these things, and no amount of things that this world throws at you could take these things from us. But where you've got wealth, where you've got a fattened calf, you get sick, you can't enjoy those things. Right? Wealth will not protect you from cancer. Wealth will not protect you from death. It will not protect you from the things, of this, uh, from, from the things that this life throws at us. 
because the best things in life can't be taken away from us, nor can the best things in life be bought. And that's what wisdom is telling us here. We're spending so much time comparing ourselves and longing for things that we don't have that we fail to realize the blessing that we have right now. It's, oh my gosh, I've got this, I've got this, I've got to have that new iPhone 12 that came out. I saw somebody else with it and it's so amazing. And we're like, this piece of junk iPhone 11 I've got, this doesn't even take the kind of pictures that I need to take. This is terrible. And we, we're, so, we're so unable to be grateful for the things that we have because we're longing for the things that we don't. But it's interesting, isn't it, how people who are in that state of life that you're longing to be in wish that they could be in your state of life. So it's a single person who says, you know what, I just wish that I was in a relationship. I long for that companionship. And then it's uh, the dating person who says, you know what, sometimes I just wish that I could go out on my own without my boyfriend or girlfriend constantly having to tag along with me. It's the married person who says, you know what, um, I, wish that, uh, I wish that I had a little bit of freedom to do the things that I want to do that I did when I was single. And it's the single person who says, you know what, I, they just have the better life and everything looks great. I don't, I'm sick and tired of having a profile picture or a default picture that's all by myself. We're longing for something of a different life, failing to realize the blessings that we have right before us. Instead of longing for that which we don't have, the Bible and wisdom tells us to be thankful for the things that we do. You might think, well, that's easy for, for people to say because they've got the stuff that they want. It's not, so, it's not so easy when we don't have anything that we think we need to have. Well, if you think about it, a lot of people who have the things of this world aren't always the most grateful people. I remember watching um, this one episode of The Simpsons um, where uh, the, the, the Simpson family is gathered to eat dinner, and Homer, the father, says to Bart, the son, he says, Bart, can you give thanks to God for the food? And Bart says, sure, I'll pray. And he prays, and he says, dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. That's what he says. Isn't that the way that some of us feel? We feel this sense of entitlement that, God, I deserve these things. I'm the one who worked for it. I'm the one who bought it. I'm the one who, I did all of these things in order to gain all this. It's not often, it's not always the case that the people who have everything that the world says you need to have are the most thankful people, the most grateful people, nor are they the most joyful people. You hear stories of, of Karens out there who sit down and they've got everything. They've got millions of dollars, they've got multiple homes, they've got the best cars, and they sit down to eat dinner. And because they've got a lot, they think that they deserve more. It's a sense of entitlement with which they live. And so she sits down to order this food, and the food comes out a little bit later. She had to wait a little bit longer, and it comes out a little bit colder than it ought to have been. And so in her anger, in her sense of, I deserve better than this, she yells at the server, she demands it be taken back, she demands a new one be brought out, the perfect temperature, the perfect time. And when, she, when it comes out, she takes a bite out of it, and it, even though it's delicious, she says, this came out too late. I'm no longer hungry anymore. And she demands that that meal, meal be comped, be given to her for free, and she refuses to tip the person who served her. Does that sound familiar? Is that the way some of us live? Maybe not in that particular way. But that's the attitude of our hearts. We feel entitled. Having a lot of stuff doesn't make you more thankful because we're constantly playing this game that says, I need to have more because we believe that lie, we believe that myth. It's the myth of more that says, if I have more, 
Once I have more, then I'll be happy. Once I have more, then I'll give thanks. Once I have more, then I'll have everything that I need and I won't need any more. Well, how much more do you need? Just a little more. It's always just a little more. That's why the language of Proverbs says, better a little, right? Better a little than great wealth, than great wealth. Why? Because all of us, all of us may consider ourselves or may not consider ourselves to be wealthy, but even if you are wealthy in the eyes of many people, which we are if we live here in America, we're wealthy beyond measure, but we don't often think we've got great wealth. Great wealth is reserved for Elon Musk. Great wealth is Bill Gates. Great wealth is the people, the CEOs of those large companies. I don't have great wealth. Once I have that, though, then I'll be thankful. But wisdom invites us to pause for a moment. And instead of thinking about all the things that you don't have and longing for those things, it says, will you stop and think about all that you do have? In the midst of this pandemic, what are the things that you've realized you don't need in order to live life? What are the things that you realize were indispensable? Is it not things that money cannot buy? We thought it was toilet paper early on, but then we realized, well, you know what? That's not that big a deal after all. Realize that it's the relationships that we have. It's the fear of the Lord. It's the presence of God. It's the church. It's things that money can never buy that God has given to us. It's a peace that survives and is built to last. It's a joy. It's a love. It's a fountain of God's faithful presence with us no matter what we're going through in life. Instead of longing for all the things that we don't have, the writers of wisdom invite us to stop and to think about all that you do have and to give thanks to God for that. That's the first thing that we see here. The second thing we see is what happens when we do. Here's the second thing. When we give thanks, okay, when life is not going perfect, when life is not perfect, when life is hard, and you give thanks, the world sees that there's something better. Okay, this is huge, guys. Thanksgiving isn't just something, hey, you do this to kind of clear your heart or clear your mind, but when you give thanks, when life is hard and you choose to give thanks, it shows the world that there's something better than what they say you need to have. Because there are people who have everything that they say you need to have and they still haven't found what they're looking for. You need to have a little bit more of this than then. You need to have this. You need to get upgraded in this. You need to get more of these things. And they get more of these things and they still realize the emptiness within their hearts. When you give thanks to God, when life isn't perfect, when life is hard, in the midst of a pandemic that Michelle says is trash, when you ha are living in this kind of a life but you still give thanks... The world sees that there's something better. See, this is what Proverbs is doing here. It's saying there's certain things that are better than the fattened calf. There's certain things that are better than having great wealth. It's better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than to have great wealth with turmoil. It's better to have a meal of vegetables with love than to have the fattened calf with hatred. What is he saying? See, there's a bunch of things that are good, but the writers of Scripture never... Okay, get this, never pin our gratitude to our circumstances. Okay, the writers of Scripture never say that our gratitude and our thanksgiving is contingent upon what's going on in our lives and our situations in life. And when you can do that, when you can give thanks to God, even though circumstances are not perfect, are not even good, then the world sees that there's something better 
than this life. And throughout Scripture, we see that over and over and over and over again, and you see that played out. If you've ever, almost every mission trip I go on, right? Every mission trip I go on, whether it's the Dominican Republic, we go to Ecuador, uh, we, 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 we eat this like amazing meal, and we're like sitting there so full, uh, so happy, because this is what we eat every day of our lives. But then we, we, we hear about these people, and then we hear the backstory. You know what? Um, these folks only eat. I remember the, this one family in Ecuador that fed us this, this like, uh, meal with meat, fish, and, and, and stuff like that. And our interpreter said, you know what? Um, this family only eat, can only eat meat once a month. They only can afford to eat meat once a month. And so they saved up all of their money in order just being so thankful that you've come. Your team has come to share the gospel with them. Um, they saved up their money so that they can give you their monthly allotment of meat. And so as we're filled with thanks and gratitude, as we go to the kitchen to express our thankfulness to them, we see them sitting sweating in front of a pot of vegetables, which will be their meal that they eat while they allow us to eat the meat that they would have eaten. And as we interact with them and see, they're not angry, they're not upset, but with huge smiles, they rise to their feet to give us a hug, to thank, them for, to thank us for coming, knowing that they probably won't ever see us again. But as they express their gratitude, we realize that to them, there's something better than having the things of this world. They found a reason to live that goes beyond earthly wealth and the pleasures of this life. You see this in people sometimes, don't you? When they say something is better, we realize the things that really matter in life. There was a, a conference up in Maine for uh, these pastors of Korean-speaking churches uh, that do house church ministry, or Korean churches with English congregations attached to it up in Maine. And one of my friends posted a picture. He said, this is the meal we're eating at this pastor's gathering. It's lobster <laughs> fresh from Maine. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, I should have gone this year. That looks amazing. So one of my other, uh, another person I knew went to that conference, and they came back, and I asked, hey, how was that? How was the, first of all, how was the conference? But most importantly, how was the lobster that you ate? How was that lobster? It looked amazing. And what was supposed to be just a short answer, oh, my gosh, it was so good. Have you ever had lobster in Maine? It's amazing. It's so fresh. You should try it. Turned into a long story. And the story goes like this. The church, the small church in Maine that was hosting this gathering, had this older lady in the church. The older lady was a janitor. She worked for a custodial company. She doesn't pay her much money, but that's where she worked. And when she heard that her church was hosting a conference for pastors that were seeking to build their church upon a biblical picture of what the church ought to look like, she was so excited. But she realized, there's, what can I do? in order to love and serve and to bless them. And so she prayed to the Lord, God, what should I do? And she came up with this idea. And so she went to her boss at the janitorial company, and she said, I'm just wondering, is there any way that you might be able to pay me in advance for my work? And he said, how much do you need? And she said, um, as she did her calculation, she said, can you pay me uh, one year salary? He's like, for what? <laughs> <laughs> for what? And she said, well, there's this conference in town and blah, blah, blah. She tells the story. And she said, I want to I bless these servants of God uh, with the finest 
that we have in Maine, lobsters. They just want to buy them lobsters. And so he agreed, and so she did, taking a year's worth of her salary. And in one sitting, she cashed all that in to buy and to steam lobsters for the people of this conference. And as this person was telling me that story, he said, how could I eat that lobster? Like, how could I eat that? He ended up eating it and enjoyed it. But, but, but you, get the, you get the, like, how can I, that's a year's worth of love that she gave, a year's worth of cleaning the floors and cleaning toilets, a year's worth of that in order to bless us with that. And she did it with joy. What did the people at that conference realize? They realized that as we labor and give our lives for the sake of the kingdom of God, it is better it is better. It is worth it. It's better than anything that this world can give because we see that in the life of a woman who gave a year's worth of her salary. It obviously, it reminds us of the lady who broke the jar of alabaster oil, a year's worth of wages, and gave it to Jesus. When everyone else said, what a waste, he said, it's a beautiful thing to me. When people say, well, a year's worth of wages, she said, there's something better. There's something better. When the when the world sees this kind, this kind of offering, realizes maybe there is more to this life than what we see. Because you see, throughout the Bible, the Bible is always talking, it says there are a lot of things that are good. The fattened calf, that's a good thing. Having great wealth is a good thing when it's used rightly. There's a lot of good that comes out of these things, but there's something better than that which is good. And the question is, do you see that and do you know that? I mean, God doesn't say, hey, you shouldn't give thanks for the circumstances that you're in. No, we ought to. Like when we get a, a new job, when we get a new home, when we have a new baby, when we're in a new relationship, when, we, when, when, when things are going well, yeah, we ought to give thanks to God for those things. But Fleming Rutledge in a book called The Bible in the New York Times says, you know, the best things in life, when you read the Bible, right, you read the Bible, you read that the mature people of thanks aren't thankful merely for the circumstances in which they find themselves in. In fact, the deepest level of thanks comes amidst the hardships of life. That's what Paul gives thanks to God for. In the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the beatings, in the midst of the jailings, in the midst of the abandonment, in the midst of the desertion, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the chaos of life. I give thanks to God for his abiding presence. I give thanks to God that he brought me to the end of myself to realize that in my weakness, his power is made perfect. I give thanks to God for an unfailing love. I give thanks to God for the lessons that I learned. I give thanks to God for the insights that can only be gained through hardship. I give thanks to God because there is a faith proved of more worth than gold that's come out of the hardship and the furnace of affliction. When you give thanks to God, when life is hard, when life is not perfect, you show the world that there's something better than life itself. And throughout Scripture, over a hundred times, we see that this is good, but something is better. This is good, but something is better. Your love is better than life, the psalmist says. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere, says the psalmist. 41, 44 times in the wisdom literature, so about 44 out of 120 times, that's over a third of the times where the Bible says you need to see what's good, but then you need to see what's better. Over a third of those times are found in the wisdom literature of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Proverbs 21 times, Ecclesiastes 23 times. It says something is better than another thing. 
And what we need to realize, what the wise begin to realize, is there are certain things that are better than what we think we need to have in this life. We need to be able to eat at the nice steakhouses. We need to have enough money to say we have great wealth. He's saying, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Don't be mistaken. It's far better to have a little and to have the fear of the Lord in you. Do you have the fear of the Lord? If you do, you are richer than the richest people on earth who don't have the fear of the Lord. Better to have a a, a meal of vegetables with love. Do you have love in your life? Do you know the love of God? Do you have the love of family, love of friends, love of church? Do you know that love in your heart? Because it's not enough to say, hey, I'm optimistic. My glass is half full. Even in 2020, my glass is half full. Nor is it okay to be the pessimist and say, in the midst of this year, my glass is half empty. As children of God, we are more than that. We say our cup overflows because of everything that I have in Christ that no pandemic could ever take away from me. This is our lives. This is our story. This is our reality. That when we give thanks to God in the midst of everything going wrong in this world, it shows the world that there's something better than what they say we need to have. Do you see that? Do you have that? Do you know that in your life? That you have so much better than what people in this world long to have and the world needs to see that what you have is better so that they could long, so they could stop putting their hope in things in this life. One of my friends in Virginia, uh, her name is Sarah. She's, you, you may have heard about her. She's going through cancer. Her, she's married to my best friend. And um, she, I mean, the prognosis that the doctors gave her at initial diagnosis was not good. Um, unless there's a miracle of God, um, this will be the last Thanksgiving that she spends with her family barring a miracle, which we're praying for and hoping for and trusting the Lord in, but two rounds of chemotherapy and things have gotten worse. The cancer has metastasized continually and continues to spread throughout her body. Um, But she sent this email a couple days ago to uh, those who are praying for her. She said, today is Thanksgiving Day, and I have so much to be thankful for. The Lord has blessed me this year in ways that I could never have anticipated. Yeah, these past few months have been hard. Cancer is a terrible thing that I would wish on no one. Yet throughout this time, God has often brought me to tears, born not out of grief, but thanksgiving. I'm thankful for the life he has given me thus far, for the everlasting hope I have in Jesus, for the joy I receive from my hilarious children, for my husband who demonstrates his love for me in small and big ways every day, for my dog who keeps me company when I'm wiped out, but I couldn't let today go by without writing to you to tell you how my heart has often overflowed with gratitude for the friendship you've shown to me and my family. Thank you for praying so faithfully for my healing. Thank you for the emails and texts. Thank you for the delicious meals and surprise deliveries. These acts of service are all earthly reminders pointing me back to the one who loves me and saved me even though I don't deserve it. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, so now faith hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. What is she saying? Well, she's saying a lot of things, but one of the things that she's saying is in the midst of a cancer that is running wild throughout my body, there's something that's better than life itself. Throughout Scripture, you see the men and women of God in the midst of a fiery furnace 
these men of God are praising God because they know that in the midst of it, because I worship God, his presence is with me in this fire and he will deliver me. And even if he doesn't, one of two things will happen. One of two things will happen. Either we'll die in this fire, we'll know his presence, and the next thing we know, we'll be experiencing his presence in far deeper ways, unbroken, never unknowing, not knowing, never not knowing his presence, or God will protect me from this. And as he chose, as they chose, that which is better the world saw, that there's something far greater than life itself. When Paul and Silas are praising God in prison, thanking God that they could be considered worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus, what are they doing? Prison opening praise. They're showing that there's something far greater than life itself. When you give thanks to God, when life is hard, you show the world that there's something better than life itself, something better than what the world says you need to have in order for you to give thanks, in order for you to give thanks, in order for this to be a real thanksgiving. We've got to have a job. We've got to have money. We've got to have family. We've got to have everything, all these things. But even if you don't have those things, if you have Jesus, you are far richer than anybody else in this world. How else will the world know that there is such thing as a pearl of great price worth giving up everything for unless we're faithful to God in the midst of the hardship. Because when we do, the world sees that there's something far better than life itself and all that the world says you need, that Jesus is the pearl of great price worth giving up everything for. Do you know this Jesus? Because if you do, then you have far more than what anyone else, the richest on earth, could ever have apart from Christ. Because you see, something beautiful happens every time you give thanks to God. A world needs to see the hope of Christ, but here's how they do it. It's not just because you declare it, but because God honors when we give thanks Three times in the Gospels, and there might be more, but I, I, I remember three times where Jesus explicitly and specifically gives thanks. There's one time on the countryside of Galilee, there's 5,000 men and women and children are gathered also, and they're hungry and they need food, but there's nowhere to get food anywhere. This little boy walks up and he's like, hey, maybe this could help. And he brings his bag lunch of fish and bread and Jesus took it, and what does he do? It says he gave thanks to God. And immediately after giving thanks, he broke the bread, and thousands of people were fed, a miracle in the desert. Because God loves to show up powerfully when we learn how to give thanks to him. There's a second time in John 11 when Three of Jesus' closest friends, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. They live there, and Lazarus has died. He's been dead for four days. They're weeping, they're grieving, they're mourning. This is, this is death in Bethany, and it affects Jesus because there he weeps at the sight of how death has affected the people that he loves. And Jesus stands before the tomb, and the first thing he does, he says, God, I thank you, Father, for what you're about to do, that you've revealed these things. And then he says, Lazarus, come out in a miracle of the dead rising to life happens in response to the grateful prayer of Jesus. And then the last time, it wasn't just at the 
certain points of life, but all through, because you see this on the last night of Jesus' life. He knows his death is coming. He knows that he'll be betrayed, arrested, unjustly tried, and then nailed to a cross, the most inhumane and suffering-inducing kind of death. And so on the last night, the night before, the most difficult day of his life, when he would be separated from his father with whom he only knew eternal intimacy. Imagine that. Like the person you love so much, there's never been a fight, never been an argument, only love all the time, but tomorrow he will turn his back on you. Not because of anything he did, but because he would bear the sins of the world upon himself. The night before that, Jesus, in wanting to picture forth what tomorrow would look like, took bread and he took wine. The bread would symbolize his body, which would be broken for the people that he loved. And the wine that symbolized his blood that would be poured out to the very last drop as payment and ransom for our sins. What does it say? It says Jesus took that bread and before he even broke it, what did he do? He gave thanks to God. He gave thanks to God for the body which would be broken and the blood which would be shed. We do it in thanks because it wasn't ours, but he did it in thanks because it was his. Why? Like, how could he be thankful for that? How could he give thanks on the eve of his death, knowing what kind of death it would be, knowing what kind of separation and, 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 and terror would come upon him? How could he give thanks? Because he knew that one, there was something that was even better than life itself. The glory of God, the will of God, and the salvation of the souls of men and women who would put their trust in Jesus was better than life itself. So he could give thanks because he valued not his life even unto death. But the second reason he gave thanks was because he knew. He knew what you and I now know, that whenever we give thanks to God, God shows up in powerful ways. Giving thanks, he knew. What would happen as a result of his body and his blood broken and poured out for us? What would happen? He's that the world would be changed, graced by the crazy, scandalous love of God for people who did not deserve it. Because of that reason, he says, listen, you put your trust in me who would lay down my life for you, then here's what you have. The world says, here's what you need. But here's what I give to you. When you come home to the Father, he kills the fattened calf for you. That's yours. That's your calf. That's your, that's your inheritance. And one day when you enter into glory, you will have that eternal glorious feast will become a reality. Not only that, but the great wealth, when you become a child of God, you become far richer than anyone could ever imagine. Not a child of a billionaire, but a child of the king. And everything that he owns and everything that he has, his hands are open to you so that you and I might receive. We're not a people of lack. We're not a people whose glass is half empty, half full. We have everything that we need in Christ. The challenge is 
seeing that because we're so fixated upon what we don't have that we can't realize I am blessed, I am filled, I am healed, I'm all these things for the glory of Jesus' name. When you see all that he's done for us, begin to realize, wow, Thanksgiving, a feast is not about what I have around me. It's about what's going on inside of me. It's the presence of God. I realize that some things are better than life. We say, God, help me. Help me to be the kind of person who gives thanks because God loves to show up when we give thanks to God, that we would live every day full of gratitude, that every day, all day, we'd live lives of thanksgiving for his honor, for his name, for our blessing, for our witness in the world. Let's pray together. Let's take a few moments to pray and do an evaluation of your life. Take an inventory of all the things that you have. Yeah, maybe it's stuff. Maybe it's things that are temporary. We can give thanks to God for those things. But even more so for the things that are eternal. Pandemic can't take away. Money cannot buy for us. Faith, hope, love. Relationships, the church, the word of God, his faithfulness, his presence, his promises never to let us go. We are supremely blessed above all other people if we know Jesus. Let's spend a few moments right now just giving thanks to the Lord and praying, Lord, help me to be the kind of person that you want me to be. Lord, change me from the inside out. Fill me with gratitude that I might give thanks to you. Let's spend a few moments like that in prayer. Thanking God for his goodness. All of your life, he's been faithful. All of your life, he's been showing you his goodness. Let's rest in that now. Let's spend a couple minutes in prayers of thanksgiving, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll uh, continue on. to pray if you are listening to this message and you don't know that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you're hearing this and you're like, man, you know what? I don't have Jesus in my life. Like if, if, if cancer hit, I'd lose everything. If I were to die today, I'd, I don't know where I'd go. I don't know what I'd do. single person, we need Jesus in our lives to not only save us from our sin, give us a hope of eternal life, but to be the new master of our lives. He's wiser than we are. He knows what's best for us, and he loves us so very much. As we continue to pray prayers of thanksgiving, if as we pray with our eyes closed, if there's anyone online watching, you know what? I need Jesus in my life. I need Jesus in my life. I invite you to fill out or contact connection card. Just indicate that. I'll get an email. I'll follow up with you. I 
need Jesus in my life. And maybe there's people here in person who are worshiping. Like, I need Jesus. With our eyes closed, if that's you, anytime over the next couple moments, 10 or 15 seconds, if that's you, I just invite you. You can raise your hand where you are. Nobody's looking. I'll see you so I can recognize you and uh, can have a conversation afterwards. But if that's you in here, man, I need Jesus in my life. You just raise your hand from where you are. Actually, yeah, I can't see you. So if you would, you could do that. And then if you want to come and see me after worship service, we'd love to chat with you about what that looks like for you to continue in this journey. Knowing that which is better, the one who is better. Let's pray together as we continue to dig the soil of our hearts so that the seed of this word of the gospel would go deeper in us. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you that you've given us far more than we know and so much more than we deserve. Thank you that the gift of life, of your presence, of your love, of your power, of the great wealth of heaven and the joy of the fattened calf is not reserved for those who are good, for those who grew up in church, for those who are moral, for those who are a little bit better. None of those things grant us access to a relationship with God. It's simply saying, I can't. I'm not worthy. We thank you that the church of Jesus Christ is the only organization into which we can join whose requirements are the unworthiness of the candidate to realize that we've messed up and we need someone to fix us in our mess, to save us from ourselves and our sin. Lord, as we acknowledge that, we find life in your name. So help us. All of us recipients of grace. Grace is a starting point of gratitude. Help us not to live with an attitude of comparison or entitlement, but help us to live with an understanding that all we've been given, a gift so undeserved by us, but given freely by one who loves us so much. So help us then to be people who give thanks to you all day, every day, not a holiday, a habit, a lifestyle. And as we do, would you open up our hearts to receive more from you? Thank you so much. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.